B'Shem Hashem Na'asev Na'asliach. Welcome everyone to our weekly shiur on the parasha with the perush of the Zerah Shimshon. Tonight we have a special um, session shiur on Megillat Esther on Purim. We're going to be, do, be doing the Derush Gimel, the third Derush of the Zerah Shimshon on Purim. Um, this shiur is dedicated Le'ilui Nishmat Shukrola Nes Ben Pinhas. Azizi. My dear friend's father, may his neshama have an aliyah and be a militia for the entire family. Amen. And also, it is dedicated, Leilui Nishmat, Morenu Barabenu, Moshe Rabbenu, Alava Shalom, whose your site is tonight. May his zechut, Tahel Alenu, watch over us and bring Moshiach Tzitkenu, Bimherav Yamenu. Amen. Okay. So there's a pasuk in Megillat Esther that says, "La'asot kirtzon ish va'ish." Orale. Here was here's what was going on. I missed having this shiur, by the way. I'm sorry I couldn't make it last week. So the Megillah says as follows: Achashverosh. How do you say Achashverosh in English? <laughs> Xerxes is the short, like really short, but it's also like Hasarius, Hasarius, something like that. Yeah, but they can't pronounce it Yeah, because they can't pronounce it when the, the way they've decided to pronounce it. I don't know why they couldn't just be like, Ahashverosh. I don't know why they have to play around with things. Why is it that Americans, whenever they can't pronounce something, they'll just change it to something else? Iran becomes Iran. Why? It's just Iran. It's very simple. Iran, you know? Are you from Iran? It's not, it's not Iran. It's just Iran. You know? Iraq. Iraq. Why? Why? Who made that change? Sorry. Got a little over. <laughs> so the Megillah says, La'asot kirtzon ishvayish. Achashverosh wanted to have a huge party. And in this party, everyone was invited. Everyone. He ruled over the entire world. He had a party first for the dignitaries and then everybody else. And in this party, it says, There was no need for anyone, meaning there was no forcing anyone of doing anything, especially there was no forcing of anyone making anyone drink. Right? And on the other, uh, and, and also, they didn't want anyone to get drunk. They wanted people to just enjoy themselves. Have a lavish time. And then it says, To do the will of every single man. What does it mean to do the will of every man or every person? Rashi there says, To do the will of Haman and Mordechai. Which were complete opposites, right? But how is it that over here Rashi says, this was the will of Mordechai and Haman together, which was what? That no one was forced to drink alcohol in this huge feast. Nobody was forced to drink alcohol. You want to drink? Drink. You don't want to drink? No one's going to get offended. Now you might think to yourself, like, why is this even a big deal? So let me explain. Okay? When, the th- when the king throws a feast and he invites everyone to have from his feast... You say, no thank you, I'm not drinking your wine, that was very disrespectful. Like, who do you think you are not to drink my wine? 
know what I mean? But in this party, it was especial. It was special because they would not force anyone to have the drinks. You don't want to drink? Don't drink as well. Maybe like maybe you quit. Maybe you are a vegan towards wine. I don't know what you are. You do you. No one's going to force you. And this was Kirtson Ishvaish, and it was according to the will of every, everybody. Rashi says, what does it mean according to the will of everyone? Mordechai and Haman. What does that mean? Shehaman lo otam yenam. Seemingly it means that Haman did not want the idolaters of the time, which was pretty much everybody else other than the Jews, to force and coerce the Jews to have their wine. We know there's an Isur. It is Asur for a Jewish person to have idolatrous wine. Wine of an idolater. It is Asur to have. Till today we have a Gezera from the Hachamim that we're not allowed to have non-Mevushal wine. That's why we have all the wines. Most, most, most of the wines are Mevushal for this reason. They're, they're boiled to a certain decree, degree. Um, we're not going to get into the kashrut part of it. But if, if, if there is wine that is non-mevushal, has not been boiled to a certain degree, and you buy it from someone that is not of the Jewish faith, you're not allowed to have it. Right? So Haman made it a rule that no one is forced to drink this wine, which was great. You know what I mean? That's great. Like, he's, he, he's so understanding. He understands, like, that's so cool of him. You know, he knows that the Jews couldn't drink this idolatrous wine. And he's saying, no one's forced, don't force anybody to have any of this wine. And that's Kirtzon Ishvaish. And that was the will of Haman. Why was it the will of Mordechai? Obviously, Mordechai didn't want the Jews, his people, to have non-kosher wine. But Haman was going with it also. Why? Kedesh, however, why was Haman doing this? Why was Haman interested in making it so that no one is drinking forcibly? He wanted the Jewish people to get punished. See, Haman was a great believer in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you should know, in his own way, in his own twisted way. Haman believed in the Jewish God. And he believed that if he does enough, or he makes the Jews do enough, God will punish the Jews. And that's what he wanted. So in this sense, he said... He didn't want, he wanted the Jews to have the free will not to want to drink or not to be forced to drink so that they'll be punished. Which means what? If they would be coerced, if they would be forced to drink this wine, that would be, they were coerced. They can't be punished. Hashem's not going to punish, God's not going to punish them if they were forced to do something wrong. So what did Haman do? Haman said, I don't want them forced. I want them to do it at will, because if they do it at will, then they'll be punished. Then I'll have my way with them. God will allow them to be punished. So don't force the Jews. Let them do it themselves. Don't worry. If you leave them alone, they'll stumble upon this themselves, and they'll probably drink the, drink the wine anyway. That was his plan. Ad conditional. Until here are the words of Yalkut Shim Oni Midrash Yalkut. That's what the Midrash says. That Haman, just like Mordechai did not want anyone to be forced to have, have to drink the wine, Haman also did not want anyone to be forced. But he had a different idea. Haman wanted to make sure that if the Jews drink, they drink at their own will so they'll be punished badly for it. Kasheh, 
He says, this is however difficult. Dame Ken, if so, <clears throat> we know there is a story in the Megillah that Haman wanted everyone to bow down to him. Especially the Jews. He wanted everybody, all the Jews to bow down to him. Now Chachamim tell us that why was he so interested in having everyone bow down to him and Mordechai? was because Haman had a tselem, he had a, an idol that he would throw around his neck. And he wanted the Jews to bow down to, this, to him so that in turn they're really bowing down to this idol when they're doing it. So that he could say, ah, look, <laughs> the Jews are bowing down to idols. They're, they're idolaters. They just want, he just wanted in every way to prove that the Jews are bad in the eyes of Hashem. So he says, Daim Ken, so if so, if Haman did not want the Jews to be forced to drink, how come, how is it that Haman was forcing them to bow to him? In that sense, he was forcing them to bow down to an idol. Right? So don't force them, let them do it on their own, so they'll be punished. How come he wasn't using the same mentality here that he used with the wine? Because he had, so I'm, I'm repeating what I said before, because he had this tselem, he had this idol in his neck, around his neck. And he was intending to make himself, so to speak, like Avodazara, like an idol. But however, here too, if they would do it on, uh, if they were doing it by accident or being forced to do it, they wouldn't be punished. So why wasn't he using the same mentality here that he did with the wine? So he says, you can explain. This was after the Jews already took part in Ahasuerus' meal. After the Jews already went to Ahasuerus' party, and they drank to their heart's desire already without being forced to do so, Haman was like, job already done. They've already went the mile without me forcing them to do anything. Right? I got what I wanted. They already drank without being forced to drink idolatrous wine. I'm fine. So if they're going to bow down to me, they're going to be forced to bow down to me, I don't care. I already got them. That's why he didn't care. Now he was forcing the Jews to bow down to idols, because once that first Avera was done, he was happy already. Because they drank the wine without being forced. He didn't care that he was forcing them now to bow down. Because, this, because the excuse of we were forced to do it wouldn't help the Jews anymore. Why? Because the first time when they had the choice to stand their ground, they didn't. And they drank the wine of Ahasuerosh, they had they. They were part of the party. Now everything else, whether they're coerced or not, it won't matter anymore. Meaning, Haman was saying, God's wrath is towards them already. I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to be nice. Nothing. Job well done. Now, he has a further approach that he goes with, the Zerashim Shon, that he asks another question on it. So we answered why basically he wasn't forcing the Jews to he wasn't forcing the Jews to drink the wine, but he did force them to bow down. And he says like this. We also have to understand Al Pasuk 
on the Pasuk in the Megillah that says as follows. Here's what it says. The Pasuk says, They told Haman to see whether Mordechai's words would stand, would endure, because for he had told them that he was a Jew. That's one of the pasukim inside the Megillat Esther. It says, basically Haman's friends said, we want to see if the words of Haman have, very, have any endurance. Are they going to stand more like before since he's told us or he's told him that he is a Jew? What does this mean? It seems. It seems to be, it seems like the Megillah is saying, at some point, Mordechai has said something, or someone has said something that they thought would not endure. Therefore, they were saying, let's see what Mordechai said about him being Jewish. Let's see if it'll actually stand. Let's see if it'll actually last. Let's see if it'll actually endure. Right? What was this? However, Mordechai didn't say anything other than that he was a Jew. That's all he said. He said, I'm a Jew, I'm a Yehudi. Why is that something questionable whether it's going to stand or not, whether it's going to endure or not? What does this mean? And this is a fact. Him being a Jew was a fact. There's no testing needed to see if it's going to stand or not, if it's going to endure. It's just a fact. Umahu and also, what is the meaning? And it also says later that Haman had an issue. When he wanted to take revenge, it says, It was kind of repulsive to him to only kill Mordechai. That's why he decided, I want to kill the entire Jewish people. What does it mean that it was repulsive? It was like... It was below his dignity to do so. What does that even mean? What was, the, what was so contemptible? Why was he so angry at the Jewish people? If they indeed, if the Jews actually did bow down to him, what was his problem then? The Jews ended up bowing down to Haman, right? Yes, we did. Ham, Mordechai did not bow down to Haman. No, he didn't. He has anger towards Mordechai for not bowing down to him. Yet he's saying, I don't, it, no, it's below me to just kill Mordechai. I want to kill all of the Jews. <clears throat> Why? They, they did what you wanted. They bowed down to you. They're giving you the kavod that you deserve. What is your problem? Right? So he says, Now we can suggest... This is beautiful, guys. Listen. You guys get the question so far? Yes, claro? Ariel, you look lost? Always. Sorry, I didn't finish the sentence because I was having a sip of my tea. <clears throat> so here's how we could answer this. Shahaman lo haya avodazara mamash. Point number one. Haman was not considered avodazara. Haman was not considered an idol. In actuality, bowing down to Haman 
would not have been perceived as bowing down to an idol. And the Jews really did not have the obligation to sacrifice their lives, not to bow down to him. There was no such obligation. This is crazy, what he's saying. Which is something that the Jews had a problem with Mordechai at the time. Right? If you know the story of, uh, of Megillat Esther, the Jews had a problem with Mordechai. They were saying, Mordechai, listen. He wants you to bow down, just do it. The guy is crazy. Okay? We all know it's not really idolatry. We're not, okay, yes, we bow down to you. You're very good. Nice boy, nice boy. Just do the bowing and get it over with. And Mordechai would be like, no, I'm not. And then what happens? He passes out edicts to the entire country. All the Jews have to be slaughtered. Imagine what the Jews were feeling like. Pia! <laughs> you know? We told you. Bow. You said no. Haman Khar. You know, that's just an abbreviation of... It was a longer speech that they gave. I'm just putting, encapsulating it into a smaller thing. You, you have to understand. By the way, the Jews did not do that. They did not get, stand up against Mordechai. Which is another lecture on its own. But they could have. The Jews, look at what happened. We bowed down. Because you didn't bow down Mordechai, because you didn't bow down, now he wants to kill everybody. Right? The Jews did what he wanted to do. Didn't do anything wrong against Mordechai, against Haman. It was just, it was just Mordechai. Which is what they were telling him. And now, there's a further look into it. He wasn't really even Avodah Zarah. So they even had a better point. They're like, Mordechai, it's not even Avodah Zarah if we bow down to him. Why are you making it so difficult? Like, we're in Galut, we're in exile, right? Just go with it. You know? How many times have you heard that in your life? Right? Just don't say anything now. Just let it... Right? I don't know how many of you have ever like... I don't know, I'm an Esfahani. So like... We have a lot of Hebrew words that we use in our Esfahani language. Like when it, was, when it comes time for your mother to tell you not to say anything in front of somebody, it would, it would, it would, the, the, key, the key word was Lashon. To be like, Lashon, Lashon. And then growing up, you had no idea what this word is. Like, what is, what, what Lashon, ka, Lashon, ka. like, I don't even know what it means. Then you grow up, you learn Hebrew, like, oh, it means tongue. So it just meant like, Bite your tongue, <laughs> you know? Stop, stop saying. So in a, in a sense, the, the Jews were telling Mordechai, like, listen, it's not so bad. So the Jews were not really, they were not really obligated to sacrifice themselves. They could have just bowed down and said, okay, yes, and get it over with. <clears throat> this is what it says in Sanhedrin, that it, he wasn't really... Uh, um, he, you weren't really uh, bowing down to an actual idol. And it already says over there, if a person bows down to a person that feels he's an idol or an idol, because he's being coerced or he's being forced. You have to look in Halakhot of Rambam also, I'm not, I don't want to get into it. But it says that if a person bows down to an idol because they're being forced or threatened, but they're not really believing in the idol. They're just bowing down. That's, he's not chayav mitah. That's not what the Torah means when it says, 
if a person has a gun to your head, bow down to an idol, you know, you know, no. It means that if you believe in the idol and you actually do it, then there's a problem. If you're not really believing in it, it's not the same. You're just doing it because you're being forced to. That doesn't really count. So here, So the, so the Zera Shimshon wants to explain here the exact opposite. He's going to say now, rather really, Haman actually wanted to force B'nai Israel to bow down to him, even though he knew it's not an actual idolatry. This is actually the reason he was doing it. <clears throat> now, the Zera Shimshon is going to explain why Mordechai actually refused, even though it wasn't real um, idolatry. So indeed, now that we have this information, Mordechai should have really bowed also. He should have really bowed down. However, the only reason that he didn't bow down was because of Kiddush Hashem. He wanted to make a special sanctification of God's name and say, no. Even though, halachically, I can, I won't do it. As the Tosafot answer there in the Gemara. And this was Mordechai's reasoning. Even though it's not actual Avodah Zara, and really according to Halakha, I would be permitted to do so. I want to be a proud full Yehudi. I want to be a Jew to sanctify Hashem's name. So even though I'm allowed to bow down to Him, I'm not going to do it. Kiani Yehudi. Because I am a Jew. And a Jew should not have to do this. Even though it was Mutar. He was being a proud Yehudi connected to his source. Not because he was waving a flag as a proud Jew. But because he was saying, I belong to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I don't bow down to anybody else. Even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, listen, for now, even though it's not really Avodah Zarah, just do it. Just get this guy off your back. I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I want to sanctify his name. I'm going to sanctify HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name. Risking his life. Therefore, he didn't want to bow down to it at all. And the Rambam, by the way, has a lengthy discussion about this. Kedamrina Mefera Kama B'demigilah, as it says in um, um, uh, me, um Gemara Megillah 13a, as it says, it, as an introduction to Mordechai, it says Mordechai, as we always say in the Megillah, we, we say his title is Mordechai Ha Yehudi. That is his title in the Megillah. Megillah is Mordechai Ha Yehudi. Why? Lama Nikra Shemo Yehudi. Why is it that Mordechai is called Yehudi? Why don't we call him Mordechai Ha Tzadik or something? Mordechai Ha Yehudi. The Megillah says Mordechai Yehudi. Mordechai the Jew. Why? So some say that the term Yehuda means that he came from the Shevet of Yehuda. But many argue that and say actually Mordechai was from the Shevet of Binyamin, not from the Shevet of Yehuda. So why was he called Yehudi? Shekafar ba'avodah zara. Because he went against and he rejected all avodah zara. The term Yehudi 
signifies a person that stands for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But this is difficult. <clears throat> if we say that Haman was actually forcing people to worship idols, according to our initial assumption, that it was real idolatry, then the Megillah shouldn't be praising him for this, for not bowing down to it. It's his responsibility, it's an obligation. You can't bow down to an idol. So he didn't do anything special by not bowing down to an idol. That was, that's an obligation. You're a Jew, you can't bow down to idols. According to our initial um, thought. Because, in, because uh, Avodah Zarah is included in the three cardinal sins that you're not allowed to do. Elavadai. However, it must be because Haman wasn't really Rather, Mordechai decided to go beyond the required letter of the law because he wanted to sanctify Hashem's name. Therefore, the Pasuk praises him and calls him Yehudi. A, a true Yehudi. Now we're going to resolve the difficulties we had. Now when Haman's servants and his friends heard these words, what was these words? Mordechai, he says, Mordechai explained to Haman's servants and friends, by the way, Haman and Mordechai were quote-unquote colleagues, if you can call them that. They were high-ranked generals, in the, in the army of Ahasuerus. So they knew each other from the past. So they, they crossed paths quite often. You would see the people, you know, you know, he had goings and comings with Haman's servants and his friends. So it says, When the servants and the friends of Haman heard these words, what words? The fact that Mordechai told them, oh by the way, um, I know Haman's upset about the fact that I didn't bow down to him and you guys think that I didn't bow down to him because of an obligation. I got news for you. There's no obligation. I could have, according to my Torah, I could have bowed down to him. I chose not to. Why? Because I wanted to do a Kiddush Hashem because I'm a Yehudi. I will never bow down to any idol, whether it's in belief in the idol or not. I won't do it. This is what he said to Haman's servants. Imagine how angry Haman becomes hearing these things. Right? Amrullah Haman, so his servants, and you see in Megillat Esther that his friends, it says his family and his friends kept talking to Haman. They kept to sariing him in his head. Like, come on, you're, you're never gonna get it. If this guy is a Jew, you're never gonna win. You know? That's what they kept telling Haman. Amrullah Haman, so they said to Haman, Let's see if these words of Mordechai will actually remain. Will they really endure? What does it mean? Whether Mordechai will actually sacrifice his life for something that he's actually allowed to do or not. Let's see if he's really going to endure. He's saying, I'm a Jew. Let's see how far, let's let basically, let's see if he's going to put, put his money where his mouth is. Is he really going to go through with this? He's really going to risk his life for something that he's really allowed to go through with? 
Right? Let's see if it's going to endure. <coughs> or, Im bo or maybe he's going to backtrack when suffering starts to settle in. When he sees the Jews are going to suffer through it. When he sees everything going wrong, will he say, okay, you know what? Fine, here, Haman. You got what you need? Leave me alone. Is he going to back, back out? According to this, <coughs> according to what we're saying now, is that when he told Mordechai, a Yehudi, told the servants of Haman that he was a Yehudi, which we said the Pasuk before, he said, Kiu Yehudi, because he's a Jew. What did it mean? That he was a person who would constantly reject any appearance of idolatry. He would never go for it. He would never go for it. Now the servants, on the other hand, wanted to test this, you know, theory. Will he actually go through with it or not? And because of this, now we're going to answer why Haman said, I can't kill Mordechai. I have to kill all the Jews. And he said it's a bizayon to him. And the Megillah says it was, it, was, it was like below his dignity for him to do such a thing. Why? Guys, listen. It was contemptible for, Mor- for Haman to kill Mordechai. Why? Because his argument was, Haman's argument was, what is this guy really doing? He's standing up for himself. The guy really stands up for what he believes in. He says, I'm a Yehudi, and through and through, he's being just that. He's not doing anything else. I come and I go against such a guy, I will be socially cut off, I will be canceled forever. Everyone's going to hate me, because every night, like, you're such a loser, man. Really? You couldn't see someone just being themselves? Is that what it is? You're such an arrogant fool that you couldn't see someone just being who they are. They were not being a hypocrite. They were just saying, listen, this is who I am. It's never going to change. No one likes a person that goes against someone that has such high standards and really stands up for those standards. Haman was saying, if I go against Mordechai, it's a bizayon to me. It's going to be bad for me. It's bad publicity. Because why why am I killing him? Because he stood up for what he really believes in and he was not a hypocrite. I couldn't get the guy to even bend a little. And he wasn't even obligated to sacrifice and he still didn't do it. Hazak Baruch, even I believe in him. You know? Now if I go and kill him, everyone's gonna be like, Chak to Sarah Haman. He couldn't see someone just living life being themselves. That's translated as dirt in the head of Haman. For those that don't speak Chinese. Aval, however, Al-Am Mordechai, Hayalo Ketsef Yoter. But on the nation of Mordechai, he had lots of rage. She'enam lo Yehudim, velo Aramaim. Because they were not being Yehudim, and they were not being Aramaic either. Meaning, they were picking and choosing. Sometimes we're Yehudis and we're proud. When there's a big feast, 
Maybe not. Sometimes we are, sometimes we're not. Depends. I don't know. We only eat the salad and the fish. But other times, everything kosher. Always, of course, Rabbi. I mean, Mordechai. Right? We're through and through. Haman had this rage against the Jews because he was saying they're such hypocrites. They're not who they say they are. We make a party, they come and drink and they're merry. Right? I have a tzelem in my neck. I have an idol in my neck. What do they think to themselves? Well, really, is it really bowing down to an idol if we're bowing down being coerced to Haman with him having an idol as a necklace? I don't know. Halachically, maybe not. Okay, we bow down. Haman had rage towards like he, he, he couldn't stand it. He was basically, he had hatred towards them because he was saying, either be a Jew or don't. Don't act like a Jew whenever you want and then don't act like a Jew when you don't want. Don't act like a Jew when it's going for you and then when it's not going for you, not. You know, by the way, it's very interesting. The Gemara says, in the time of Shlomo Melech, well, there's, there's, there's differences of opinions, but in the time of Shlomo Melech, in, in Eretz Yisrael, in Judaism, they did not accept, we did this before, we didn't, they didn't accept converts. Why? Because with Shlomo Melech as the king, and I mean, everybody wanted to be a Yid. Right? Who didn't want to? So because of that, they're like, no, whoever wants to become Jewish right now, they don't really want to be Jewish. They just want, you know, the good life. That's not good enough reason to be Yid. You're a Yid through and through. If you're a Yehudi, you're going to be a Yehudi. Whether it's ups or the downs, you're going to be a Yehudi. Halachically, okay. No. You got to be a Yehudi through and through. And that's what Mordechai was doing. And because of that, Haman couldn't bring himself. He's like, I can't go against this guy. It's, it's too, I, I can't. He's really being honest. What can I tell you? They're going to hate me. I'll be canceled. I'll be so unpopular. No one's going to visit my TikTok ever again. My videos will have like maybe one hit and it'll be my mom. <laughs> Imagine if they actually had TikTok those days. <laughs> that Achashverosh's party would have been crazy. It would have been broke. It would have broken TikTok forever. Imagine that. So, Kelomar, so this is to say, ah, so now, it says here, that's why, because Am Yisrael as a whole, the Jews, did not stand up for their own beliefs, and they showed weakness in their commitment, to live as Yehudim, what happened? They set themselves the, apart from the other nations and they also refused to be non-Jews. We're Yehudim, but we're setting them, ourselves off from other people also. Like we're not, we're Jewish, we're not Jewish. We're not, we're, we're like hanging in the middle. And that's why he made him angry. This is why two pasukim later, after the Megillah says, after we said the pasuk says, um, the pasuk says, 
They told Haman, Let's see if the words of Mordechai will really endure. Meaning, the fact that he said, I'm a Yehudi. Let's see how far he'll go with this, right? Because he told them, who told who? Because Mordechai had told Haman's friends and servants that he's a Yehudi. That is in chapter 3, Pasuk 4. Chapter 3, Pasuk 6, it says, and this is what it means when it says, et am Mordechai. What does it mean? They told him the nation of Mordechai. Not Mordechai himself. The nation of Mordechai. After saying that Amman found it like repulsive to get rid of Mordechai, he wanted to kill all the Jews because they had told him Mordechai's people, meaning what? <clears throat> it's one second, Kelomar to say, Shenirim Yehudim Ve'enam. He was saying that listen, they're just Am Mordechai. They're the nation of Mordechai. But you see, Mordechai said Yehudi and he meant Yehudi. Them with the Jews, they're ah, hetzi hetzi. Half half. And that brought Mordechai to uh, uh, Haman to rage. Yeah, go ahead, your question. Both the Jewish people and Mordechai. But the thing is, he, could, he, he couldn't bring himself to do anything to Mordechai. We see that through the entire Megillah. But if you read the Midrashim, you'll see there's a lot of different reasons why he couldn't bring himself to do anything to Mordechai, but this is a new look at it. Based on the discussion so far, it seems like he had some sort of respect for Mordechai. Ah! Ah! That's what we're going to talk about. This is similar to what it says in Gemara Yerushalmi. In Shevi'it. Rabbi Abba Barzamina, Aitele had Aramai Basar de Nevela. One time Rabbi Abba Barzamina was sitting and an, an Aramean person brought him a piece of meat that was a Nevela, non-kosher meat. Amar leh echol. And this Aramean said to Rabbi Rabbi Abba, and he said, Eat! If you don't eat, I will kill you. Now, if a person tells someone, if, if, if someone's being coerced to eat non-kosher meat, pork, if someone is being told, eat this pork with non-kosher beef sandwiched in it, with cheese melted on top of the beef, cooked within the beef, and shrimp on it, has shalom. And someone is being coerced and saying, if you don't eat this, I will kill you. What's the halakha? Eat it. That's the halakha. You're not supposed to sacrifice yourself for non-kosher food. You're not. However it says here, Rabbi Abba Bar Zamina is being told by an Aramean, if you don't eat this meat, I will kill you. Amar leh. Rabbi Abba Razamina says to him, If you came to kill, kill already. Stop talking. Seriously, you're boring me. <laughs> like just, if you came to kill, kill. I will never eat nevela meat. Amar leh. Dermian says to him, Man muda'lach te'ilu achalt havena 
Who told you that I wanted to test you that if you would eat it, I would have killed you while you were eating it? How did you know? If you would have eaten it, I would have killed you. Oh Yehudi, Yehudi, oh Aramai, Aramai. That's what he says to him. He says, either be a Jew, a real Jew, or be an Aramean, a real Aramean. There's no middle ground. Stick to your side. There is no middle. I only have fish in restaurants. There is no middle. How true this rings today. Do you understand? The Zerah Shimshon is saying Haman had a difficulty wanting to kill Mordechai because he had nothing to go on. Now, this is the, we're, we're getting into the logic behind it with Haman. But really, if you really think about it, this is not logical. It's more minashamayim. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, if you speak for me, no one can harm you. If you are 100% for me, you cannot be harmed. Because you're with me. But the logic behind it is, and I've heard this many times, I'm telling you, that I had one time was a, was a lecture, I wish I knew the Rav's name, such an incredible lecture, years ago, uh, when dinosaurs roamed, roamed the earth, uh, when I was younger, uh, just a tad bit light, um, and I was in this lecture, and this Rav was incredible. So he was talking about this phenomenon, and he was saying like this, he says, one time he was walking down Miami, I don't know where he was, and I guess when he was walking down, he was going by like one of the beaches or whatever it is, and he had his head down. He had his head down because he was passing by the beach, his head was down. Right? Obviously, Shemirat Ainaim is very important to watch our eyes, not to see things that are inappropriate, not to see things that we're not supposed to see. So a guy passes by him and he goes, you know what, you guys are disgusting. So he says, excuse me? What? He says, may I ask why, what your problem is? So he says, look, I see you walking down by the beach and you got your head down, you know? Like, it's like, you can't control yourself, right? You see all these beautiful women walking by the beach and oh my God, if you see one of them, you won't be able to control yourself. So you have to have your head down because something will happen to you if you see them. So he says, I turned to this guy and I said to him, I said, let me ask you something. So when you walk down and you see beautiful women by the beach, nothing happens to you. He says, no, absolutely not. Nothing happens for me. She says, I feel bad for you. You've lost all of that emotion. You've lost the emotion of knowing what true beauty is. If nothing happens to your body when you see that kind of beauty, so to speak, then something's wrong with you. Baruch Hashem, I'm a Jew, I have my standards, and I hold on to these standards, so that when I do see something of beauty, like he was talking about his wife, right? Then, yes, I have those emotions all the time till I'm 80, 90, I'll still have those emotions. You, what are you, 40 years old? You're done. Nothing can excite you. And he was telling us, he's like, you have no idea how it, what it means to be a proud Yid. And he said one time he was on a plane. And um, on the plane, right next to him sits a skinhead, a real skinhead, anti-Semite. You know, skinhead. And he, he, I, I still remember it like it was yesterday. He's like, I was sitting there on the plane thinking to myself, like, why? 
Like all these seats on the plane, why should he be sitting next to me? And this Rav was a white beard Rav with a nice hat and a kapata long coat. You couldn't miss him. You know, he's a Yehudi, Yehudi. He's got a stamp on his forehead, I am Jew. You know? And he's like, the whole time I was very nervous because he kept looking at me, looking away. Like he was like, kind of like, he looked very agitated. He says, the plane had some technical issues, and they had to land, they did like an emergency landing in somewhere in Istanbul, some place that was not a safe place for a Jew looking like a Jew. Right? So he's like, um, the plane landed, everyone's sitting in the plane, and they go, okay, everyone has to get off of the plane so that we can take care of the issue, and then we'll call everyone back on. He's like, I said to them, I'm like, I ain't getting out of this plane. I'm sitting right here, I'm not getting out. Everyone's leaving. This guy next to me is sitting next to me, he's not budging. This, just, the, the flight attendants come up and go, you, you need to leave. You need to. He's like, I'm sorry, I'm not leaving. Skinhead goes, this guy doesn't leave, I don't leave. Because <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, like, what is this? What? What did I do? This is like, I'm, I'm, flight lands in like some, some, some country that I'm afraid to step foot on. I don't remember where it was, right? Like now, now I got this guy, skinhead, right on top of me. I don't. So they keep coming back, like, you, sir, you really have to leave. So I go, fine, I might as well leave. Everyone else is leaving. I'm sitting all alone in this plane with this crazy guy. I don't know what's going to happen with me. I'd rather be in public. So he goes, I get out of the plane. And this guy's following me, like literally behind me. And I don't know if I could actually acknowledge him. Like, hello, what gives, you know? Finally, I look at him, he goes, listen, don't worry, I got you. No one's going to touch you. And he's like, my first impression was, he wants me to himself. (laughs) You know? He's like, I got my prize no one is laying a finger. I'm going to kill him myself. You know? So he's like, don't worry, I got you. So, I don't like, curiosity, I'm like, thank you. She says, you should know. Listen to this, guys. I'm not making this up. This became a lesson for me in life. He looked at me and said, we like it when you Jews act like Jews. That's exactly what he said to him. And he's like, he was my bodyguard the entire time. No one came near me. We like it when you Jews act like Jews. Be who you are. Be proud of who you are. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. Even when you're allowed to. That's what we learned from Mordechai. Mordechai was saying, even though I'm allowed to bow down to him, I will not. I stand for something. I will make a Kiddush Hashem no matter what. You know how many people lost their lives in the Holocaust, just because of this? People that were not even religious. A reformed Jew was asked by the Nazis, they had a Sefer Torah. They unrolled the Sefer Torah on the ground, and they asked, he was a reformed Jew. I don't know what that means even in that generation, I don't know what that means. Let's say a non-believer Jew. They unrolled a Sefer Torah in front of him and they told him, walk on it. And he fell on his knees and he started to cry. He couldn't do it. Do you understand? 
Because he said, Ani Yehudi. It's a true story. They shot him right there with the Sefer Torah, wrapped in the Sefer Torah, and they buried him. They didn't bury him. The person who tells the story was in a window in a, in a, in a building, seeing it unfold. They wrapped him in the Sefer Torah, shot him. They came down and they buried him with it. That's a Kiddush Hashem. Did he have to do that? No. Did he have to risk his life not to walk on a Sefer Torah? No. He chose to do it because at that moment he figured out, Ani Yehudi. Ani Yehudi. What do we do? What do we do? We go into meetings with big shots. No. We go into these big meetings, millions of dollars on the table. You know? If I wear my kippah because I want to kind of <laughs> him, <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather not wear my kippah because it's a chilur Hashem, I'm a good Jew. So I always have to say, like, no, wear your kippah and truly be a Yehudi. Make a Kiddush Hashem. Why do you have to think the first idea that pops in your head? Okay, I guess I'm taking off my kippah for this business deal. You know what I'm saying? No, put your kippah on and make a Kiddush Hashem. That's eternal. That money that you're going to make is not eternal. Money comes and goes. A Kiddush Hashem is eternal. It's life forever. Why not? Why not bank on that? So many times we have these opportunities and we just give them away. We just give them away. Prime example. Um, a very famous wealthy man was, um, had a business dealing with a, with a sheikh, which is a, an, in somewhere in, um, I think it was the United Arab Emirates. He had a business dealing with them. This is before the Abraham Accords and like, you know what I mean? Still shaky. He had a multi-million dollar deal. He, was, he himself was very wealthy, but this was going to make him velti. You know? So he was going to, he has his entourage and they... When they get off in the airport, they had an assistant that was hired over there to teach them the etiquette of how to act in front of a sheik. You know, this is, he's like a prince. You understand? Like, you don't act the same way you do with everybody else. Like, oh, You know, you gotta be a little, you know, different. There's customs. There's, there, there are customs, by the way. Every world, every country has their own customs. What is nice, what is not nice. In some countries, you have to take off your shoes before you go into the house. In America, no one does, you know? It's the way it is. So there was someone hired in that country to, to give him the ropes, tell him what to do, what not to do, what to say, what not to say, for that day of the meeting. And this guy was a from Jew, religious Jew. The day of the meeting comes, and this guy says, by the way, I'm sure you're going to take off your kippah when you, when, you, when you go in. He goes, why did you make that assumption? It's like, you have to understand, like, it's, you're Jewish, there's nothing wrong with that, but it could be disrespectful, you're... Two sides of the world, you know the, you know the friction between these two peoples. It's better not to cause the friction. It's millions and millions of dollars on the table. He goes, I don't care. I'm wearing my kippah. He says, you don't understand. It's going to be offensive. They're going to throw us out. It could be a danger to all of us. He says, I don't care. I'm going to wear my kippah. You could tell them right now that I'm going to be wearing my kippah to get them ready. I'm not taking off my kippah. 
No way, no how. He says, listen, I warned you. I'm not going to warn you again. So they go. And he says, the way I read the article, I mean, it's like, it's a huge table of 50 people. Like every seat was like a throne. Uh, like a throne. All these dignitaries are coming, like one richer and more important than the other. And they're all waiting for the head of the table to come. He's got this huge throne to sit down and talk to everybody. And he's sitting at the other side of the table with everyone. Finally, he comes, everyone stands, people are kissing. You know, I don't know what they call him. Comes and sits down, everyone respectful. This guy's wearing his kippah loud and clear and proud. <clears throat> and as, he's, as he comes and everyone's talking, beginning to like start conversations, this Jew takes, um, there was a pitcher of water, pours himself some water. As soon as he's, he takes the cup, listen to this. The sheikh taps on the table and goes, Make a bracha, I want to answer amen. He goes, What just happened? Like, he's shocked. He makes a bracha out loud and he answers amen. Afterwards, he tells him, By the way, he doesn't even talk to him about the deal. He says, I want to do the deal. No questions asked. He does the deal with him. No questions asked. The deal goes through. No meetings, nothing. He sits down and tells him stories of his life. Says when he was a child, when he was young, for some period of time, he, he didn't have parents, he lost his parents, and he was raised by a Jewish family, a Jewish religious family. And he says, till this day I have a karatatov to them, I'm not a Jew myself, but I know all the brachot, I know all the mitzvot, and I'm always proud to see a Jew being a proud Jew. This is, you see the hand of God so clearly, like it's smacking you in the face. If you are who you are, if you're Yehudi, be a Yehudi, and I'm going to be with you, don't worry. Yes, go to that business deal with your kippah. I'll give you another story. Okay? Another story. This was, I, I watched the interview. It was an interview. I watched the interview. This guy was talking about how he wanted to get into this law firm. As badly as anything else. It was like a very prestigious law firm. He wanted to get into it. Yeah, yeah. Right? And he had this interview. And he had this, like, he had this poll, like, should I be with my kippah? Should I not be with my kippah? People look at you differently. Well, you're wearing a kippah. Like, oh, he's a religious Jew. He's not going to work in Shabbat. He's not going to work on the holidays. He's going to have Pesach off, Sukkot off, Purim off, da 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 Half the year he's off. Right? I don't know. I don't know what ideas go in their minds when they're wearing their kippah. Like, I don't know. Maybe he's going to think because I eat kosher. You know, office lunches are going to be $10 more expensive. You know, I don't know. Right? So he's like, I was debating whether I should wear my kippah or not. You know, I'm sitting in that room. I don't even know who's going to interview me. So I take off my kippah. In walks in the interviewer, a Hasidic Jew, with his tzitzit out, peot. And he says to him, well, in the thing, I, I, I read that I was doing this interview because you're from Jew. He goes, <laughs> takes that out of his pocket, puts it in his hand, goes, yeah, because <laughs> I was thinking like, and he goes, interview's over. He says, we are looking for someone that has the confidence to stand up in court in million, million dollar deals. If you don't have enough confidence to wear your kippah in an interview, you can't do well with our company. He said it himself, he said, till this day, Till this day, there's not a day I don't think about how I failed. 
Over what? Over what? Over what? I'm sorry, I'm bringing all these examples from men. I got, for women too, don't think. I ain't going, this is, hey, free country. Right? Women are the same, like, I don't know if I wear this, if I don't wear that, I won't look, I, people are gonna, uh, uh, I won't get married, if I dress this way, because they'll think I'm too religious. Give me a break. But who's the Shatchan? Who is the ultimate Shatchan of the world? Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Nisim veniflaot every day. You think by you saying, I am okay. If, okay, tell him. If he, I'm saying it out loud like this. No girl has ever said this before. I'm just saying it out loud because the conditions that you make, this is what they sound like. Okay? No one ever said this, but this is really what you're saying, not in so many words. Tell him if he wants to go to his Khaled's house on Shabbat, I'll Uber. I'm ready to Uber. I'm Shomer Shabbat, but if he marries me, please, I'm ready to Uber. Why? Why do you have to cut down on your belief why? Because you think HaKadosh Baruch Hu can't give you a nice Shomer Shabbat, good and on his shoulders husband, that really deserves the great gem that you are? Mordechai was saying the same thing. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to save us, you think he's not going to save us because I didn't bow down to this Joshmo? I doubt it. I doubt it. What, Hashem's going to come and say, I was going to save you, but then I saw you didn't bow down to Haman, you didn't give me anything to go on. Come on. Why didn't you just bow a little bit? Think about it the next time you're thinking to yourself, it's only fish. Just think. I'm only eating bugs, I mean salad. Right? It's only salad. Not a big deal. Each bug is only what? Six lashes, six sets of lashes, which is pretty much as much as a human being can take, right? When you eat pork, just once. Now people are thinking, next time I'll just order the pork. Why have the salad? Right? <laughs> but we're just saying, if you're going to be a Yehudi, be a Yehudi through and through, and we learn that from Mordechai HaTzadik. Mordechai HaYehudi, that's why in the Megillah he's called Mordechai HaYehudi. Why? He did not give up. And that's where our salvation came from. It came from us Jews really being Yehudim. You know history repeated itself, right? You know, right? You know Purim actually repeated itself, and we lost the second time around. It's called the Holocaust. I have a whole lecture I can tell you how Purim was repeated during the Holocaust. You know why we lost? Because in a time of Mordechai, we listened to Mordechai and we fasted and we davened and we said, you know what, we were wrong. We should not have become like them. We should not have tried to assimilate. We should not have tried to make them happy. We should have stayed true to who we are. But, unfortunately, Many years later, modern, modernization came into the world, and Jews were like, listen, I'm a doctor, I'm a scientist, I'm a da da who's gonna hurt me? Who's gonna come? I fought for Germany in World War I. I'm a high-ranked general. I'm a German first, and then a Jew. And they were dragged. They were literally, go read the stories, and, and, and watch, go ahead, 
Watch those interviews by Steven Spielberg. And they were dragged with their uniforms, with the medals of honor they won from Germany. Because they were a Jew. This is what caused it. What caused it was we, we weren't proud enough to be Am Israel. It doesn't matter. I'm a Yehudi. HaKadosh Baruch who's talking to me in a different language. Hashem talks to me in a different language. I stand up for my beliefs and nobody else's. I wear my kippah. I wear my dresses like a real Yehudi or Yehudiya should. That is, that is supposed to be the mark of the Jew. No matter what. Chin up high. Really believe in who we are. And that's the only way we will have salvation. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.